Welcome to the Just for Special Education Teachers podcast, the place to be if you just want to connect with other special educators, if you want to gain insights and strategies, or obtain resources to help you in your journey as you grow as a special educator. Hi, my name is Enzella Jones, and welcome to episode number one of Just for Special Education Teachers. In this introductory episode, I want to share with you who I am, why I started the podcast, and what to expect from this podcast. And in order to do that, we are going to go back in time to the year 2007, when I first got my emergency credential to teach students with special needs with all of six weeks of training. One week before school was to start, I met with a mental health mentor and a staff social worker employed by the Bay Area School District in California, where I was hired to teach. And at that time, they informed me that I would be working with ninth through 12th grade students identified as emotionally disturbed students. Now, at that time, they had informed me that most of these students have been expelled from special education classes at the district's mainstream campuses. No doubt they are one of the most challenging and underserved populations in the district, bar none. Then the mentor informs me most of the students have had traumatic childhood experiences. There are strict rules that you must follow, the social worker informs me. These students must be supervised at all times. They only get a 15-minute lunch, and they are not to leave the classroom during that time. They are to eat lunch with staff. The restroom doors of the campus are to remain locked at all times. And when the students have to go to the restroom, they are to be escorted. You must wait for them right outside the bathroom and only one student is allowed in the bathroom at a time. These students do not have social skills, so they are not to have contact with each other. They are not to touch each other in any way, shape, or form. So after receiving all of this information, I'm thinking, okay, wow, it sounds to me like they're prisoners. I mean, should I be concerned for my safety? I had big plans for my students. And I'm thinking, how can I teach them to become productive citizens if they don't have social skills? What about my plans to teach them the reading and math skills necessary for them to pass the high school exit exam? and attend college, because back then in 2007, there was an exit, a high school exit exam that was required in order for you to be able to get your graduation diploma from your school in California. So what about all of these plans and my plans to create a loving and nurturing classroom, my plans to create a home away from home, a family away from family? It's like how... Could I do that with these rigid prison-like rules? So now let us fast forward to the first few weeks of school. 
I met each one of my students and I get to learn a bit about their individual personalities. Now, the names of the students and the name of the school has been changed to protect the identity of the students. So here we go. Six boys and one girl. Penelope, who's very loving, caring, and forgiving. She wants to be loved by everyone. However, rub her the wrong way and she will threaten to stab you or have one of her family members injure you. Darius, intelligent and articulate, but irritate him and he's likely to lunge at you or throw a desk or a very large object at you. Nicholas, the instigator. The students make fun of him and his size. And clearly he has the strength to throw anybody in the class around like a rag doll if anyone threatens him or makes fun of his mother. Do not talk about his mother. Larry, not threatening, but he will defend himself. He is a husky football player. Disrespect someone he cares about and he can get very angry and challenge you. Prince, the most mature one in the class. He uses his maturity to instigate and make other students argue and fight. He has made it very clear that he does not like people and that he does not like to be around people. Armando, the big man on campus, or so he thinks. Armando is the only gang member in the class. He's very vocal and feels he does not have to follow rules. He threatens to hurt people or have one of his gang members hurt people. Liddell, the youngest and smallest kid in the class. He uses his mouth to make up for his size. He talks a big talk and he talks about how many people he beat up over the weekend. Liddell has a story every Monday when he returns to school. I have so many stories that I could share with you, but let me just give you a glimpse of a typical day at Eastside Academy. Darius arrives at school one day and he is pretty irritable. Darius is currently sitting at the class table working on a project. So Nicholas decides to borrow Darius's desk chair to stand on it so that he can reach an item on top of one of the class cabinets. Darius does not like the idea that Nicholas chose to use his chair. So he stands up and yells, get off my chair. Well, I won't go into detail about what transpired for the next 45 seconds, but what I, I will say this. When it was all over, the class looked like a tornado had just gone through it. Words cannot express the essence of what I experienced the first few weeks at Eastside Academy. We had security in our room at least three times a day. Oh, and did I mention that our class social worker checked out at the end of the third day of school? Yes, she called out sick that Thursday and never came back. What to do, what to do, I'm thinking. 
I mean, I know that I was told that these kids could not be socialized, but there had to be a way to establish a safer environment. What would the consequences be if I didn't? I mean, how would how would they ever be able to attend a mainstream high school again? And and how would I make it to the end of the year? How could I create educational opportunities that were engaging that also required them to work in small groups for a limited period of time? Hmm. How about starting them off with games that require two people? Let's just start off with two people first. So I'm thinking Connect Four, a game where they can learn abstract thinking and strategizing as well. So, sir, sure, let's go for it. I went for it. Can I justify Connect Four in an educational setting during class time? What if what if a parent visits the school while the children are playing Connect Four? Would they understand? What will I say? Did you know that the red player always has the advantage because red goes first? Did you know that red plays offense while black plays defense? Did you know there was a pattern? When the number of empty spaces is even, it is red's turn to move. When the number of empty spaces are odd, it is black's turn to move. Did you know that if both players play flawlessly, red must win? Okay, so I can justify the game. So let's try this in class. I will see if the students can play for 15 minutes without throwing heavy objects, throwing punches, or making violent threats. Okay, they did it. Now, let's try some games with three people or more that the students will find engaging. And I notice their interest in dice. I've had to confiscate quite a few pairs of dice since school started. Is there a way that I can turn craps into an educational opportunity? Sure, why not? So I tell the students that I will allow them to play with the dice in class during a few math classes with a few contingencies. First, we are no longer able to refer to these dice as dice. From now on, they are random number generators. Second, as we are experiencing with random number generators, we will also be learning probabilities. Deal? And they all say, deal, cool. So here we go. Question number one. How much will you get paid if you bet $5 on a 25 to one play and win? Second question. What is the probability of rolling four, six, eight, or 10 the hard way? Third question. What is the probability of rolling a seven before the point is rolled? All right, now that we have the questions, let's try playing with our random number generators in groups of three, three people, and see how far we get. Objective. Be able to get through 15 minutes of craps with three students without having to call security. That means no fights, no throwing objects, and no violent threats. 
So I set the timer at 15 minutes with everyone at their stations. I'm sitting a few feet away with the school walkie-talkie intercom phone in hand, just in case I need to call security. Mrs. G, the intervention specialist, is stationed at the door just in case she needs to run to the classroom next door for help. All right, the timer goes off and 15 minutes has passed with no incident. Objective met. Okay, so now it's time for the ultimate test. Here we are, amazingly, at the last quarter of the year. And I feel that my class is now ready for the ultimate test. So I share my ideas with colleagues. I would like to teach my kids physics. And after we learn about energy, we will work together as a team to build a roller coaster out of popsicle sticks by applying the concepts of physics. And one of my closest confidants responds to me by saying, are you on some kind of drug? Let me get you the, let me just get this straight. You want to teach your students, most of who are at a second grade reading level, physics. And then you expect them to work together as a team without killing each other, to build a roller coaster made out of popsicle sticks from scratch with no instructions? And then I respond by saying basically, yes. And then she just burst into laughter. But I believed in my students and I felt that they had demonstrated to me throughout the school year they could pull this off now. It's not something that they would have been able to do at the beginning of the year, middle of the school year. But but I think based on all of the progress that I had seen at the time that they would be able to pull it off. Because now they actually support each other during class time. If Penelope is having difficulty understanding an algebraic concept, Nicholas is there to assist her and try to explain to her in a way that she might be able to understand the material. Liddell is no longer embarrassed by his classmates. Although his reading is not very fluent, he still attempts to read passages out loud in class now. Before at the beginning of the school year, he would never, he would never do that. If he gets a word incorrect, one of his classmates is there to assist and support him. So I started to put the project in motion. And the project was planned to last for about two weeks. Final objective. Describe the law of conservation of energy. Identify the conversion between potential and kinetic energy. Construct a model of a roller coaster. My students were excited and engaged in their project and any teacher that would have observed our classroom for the first time while my class was working on their roller coaster project probably would have thought that this was a class whose social skills were out of control. However, any teacher having observed my class at the beginning of the year would likely say that this does not seem like the same class because they have improved in their communication and social skills so much. 
I sat and, and observed my students as they communicated with each other while they worked as a team on building their roller coaster. Now, warning, the language has been edited for this podcast presentation, but the conversations went something like this. Liddell, the hill needs to be higher like I told you before, you jerk. We won't have enough potential energy with the hill at this height. Prince, shut up, you idiot. That's why I'm making the foundation higher. We also need to create more kinetic energy. So make the hill steeper so the ball will roll faster, you dummy. Liddell, all right. I'm doing it now, jerk. Now, many people would have found this language offensive. However, as I observed from a distance, it was like music to my ears. We got through the whole last quarter of the year without one suspension. By the end of the year, the students worked together without incident. They worked, talked, and joked together. Now, they did not always use the best choice of words, but they no longer resorted to throwing heavy objects, hitting, punching, or making violent threats. They learned social skills that some staff members thought impossible at the beginning of the school year. But most importantly, because of my relentless efforts as a teacher, the students learned to work with each other in small groups and teams. This monumental accomplishment increased the students' academic achievements and many other goals and objectives were met. For example, Nicholas, who barely knew his multiplication tables at the beginning of the year, could do basic algebra functions by the end of the school year. And Liddell, who refused to read aloud in class at the beginning of the year, doubled his reading fluency rate and regularly volunteered to read in class by the end of the year. As far as the profanity and appropriate word choice, that issue continued to go on, you know, at the end of the school year, but they accomplished a great deal in 10 months. And that year they learned physics. And, you know, I'm excited to say that my students completed a functioning model roller coaster made out of popsicle sticks that stood about 32 inches high. And, you know, as I stood and admired my students and their finished product, I reflected on my initial doubts that I had about my career choice as a special education teacher. And, and, and becoming a special education teacher. You know, and I thought, why do I want, want to become a teacher in California where the system is so broken? These were the thoughts that I, I was having at the beginning of my journey, you know, but children don't fail systems. Systems fail children. And I can't change the system. But what I can do is teach and impact the life of a child, one child at a time. And as I glanced over at their 32-inch work of art, I just thought to myself 
that although the journey was very rough, my doubts were unfounded because this is why I decided to get into the field of education and stay. And I'm not sure if any of you, my audience that are listening right now, you can relate, but I would think that you can because you know, it's not easy being a special education teacher. There are so many demands, so much more than the demands of a general education teacher because not only are we responsible for the curriculum and educating our students, right? But we're responsible for the the IEPs and all of the, the paperwork that comes along with it. And sometimes we we don't have the appropriate resources that we need in order to really serve our students. And I know how that can be frustrating. My story, it had a happy ending. However, I literally cried just about every day for my first at least 90 days of this of that school year. And I felt like I had been thrown to the wolves and that I had to fend for myself to survive. My second and third years were not as challenging, but there were some similarities where I had felt once again that I was sort of kind of like being thrown to the wolves to fend for myself and figure it out. And sometimes I felt like I was on an island by myself. Many times the only special educator on my school site And sometimes I felt misunderstood, that no one understood my role, that no one understood many of the students that were on my caseload. And I think that there are probably a lot of special education teachers out there that can relate. Now, 15 years deep into the special education space, I thought, well, what if I could create a safe space for special education teachers, a place where they could come to listen and learn from colleagues and share ideas and resources and laugh and cry together. I hope that my story, you know, was able to make you laugh because in the end, it it ended well. And I figured, you know, this podcast could be the place where we could do all of those things together. And so that's what I did. So what should you expect from this podcast? Well, we will have expert interviews, including expert teachers, um, expert like psychologists, speech language therapists, you name it. Um, And we'll be having conversations about various topics such as case management, IEP writing, compliance, meetings, assessments, uh, instruction, accommodations, modifications, scaffolding, differentiation, behavior, trauma-informed practices, reward systems, teacher lifestyle, self-care, burnout, work-life balance, you name it. You know, and I invite open collaboration and input and feedback from you. So if there's a topic that you want discussed, a guest that you would like to have interviewed, or even a comment that you want to share with the rest of the audience, you're welcome to send all requests to info at allthingssped.com. That's an abbreviation, all things sped for all things special education. So info at allthingssped.com. And I will air one episode every week 
the release date will be on Thursday. So once a week on Thursdays, we will have our Just for Special Education Teachers podcast. And uh, just to give you a heads up, next week, we will be discussing the top 10 side hustles for special education teachers. So that wraps it up for this week's first introductory episode of Just for Special Education Teachers. Do you have any questions or comments that you would like to add to this discussion? If so, head on over to our Facebook page where we welcome your comments. Thanks for listening to the Just for Special Education Teachers podcast, and I hope to see you here at the same time next week.